Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you for listening. Uh, at the top of the show, I will say that, uh, so we are recording this a couple weeks in advance, so I don't exactly know what's on the website right now that you can read or listen to, but what I will say is that uh, I am going to be at this year's International Christian Film Festival, and uh, it's in Orlando, Florida, and it is the first weekend in May. And I am going to be uh, giving a talk on Friday at 3 p.m. Uh, it will be called Everybody Hates Critics. And it will be all about uh, the role that critics play and that uh, it is a more vital role than people give them credit for. So if you want to check that out or if you just want to come to my table, then uh, check out the International Christian Film Festival. I have a link to it on the website so you can click on that and get all the information you need. So uh, I did also want to say that this episode is sponsored by, partnered with, I haven't decided yet. Let's say sponsored by for the time being. Uh, Digisciple Me, uh, that is the name of the uh, company and website, uh, which is committed to helping churches develop and implement strategies to increase discipleship and experience community growth. They help you determine your target audience and then equip you with the tools and content to reach that audience. So if you would like to help your church, your ministry, or your website, just go to digisciple.me, that's D-I-G-I-S-C-I-P-L-E dot M-E, or you can just click uh, click on the graphic at morethanonelesson.com. All right. So with that out of the way, I will welcome in my co-host, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Not bad. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. So, <laughs> so we are recording this right after uh, our Hacksaw Ridge episode. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I have to remind myself in those moments that I need to reintroduce you. Oh, I got um, you. As yeah. opposed to the just saying, just expecting you to start talking. But, <laughs> uh, okay, so today we are watch, uh, we're uh, discussing, pardon me, uh, The Place Beyond the Pines, directed by Derek Cianfrance, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, a film that came out in 2013 mm-hmm. and one that, frankly, is not talked about that often yeah. uh, these days. It was talked about a fair amount at the time. And uh, the only way I can describe this film as far as my initial reaction to it is that as I was, as the film was going along, I felt like, I think this is something special, this mm-hmm. film. It is certainly not your usual drama or thriller right. or whatever you want to call it. It is not that. It definitely seems to be ambitious in in certain ways and its themes and that sort of thing uh upon watching it a second time for this episode uh i'm perfectly willing to say that i think place beyond the pines is one of the best movies of the 2010s oh wow um i think because it's ambitious and because i think the director this is something i tend to respect i feel like the director is is just telling a story that he feels like he needs to tell even if he's not always 100% sure what it is he's trying to say. It just feels like an exploration of something. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about what that something is in a moment. But uh, it's a film that just, there's a weird, it's oddly hypnotic at times, and yet it's still very much grounded in character. Uh, it seems to be almost operatic in its scope, but also, yeah. again, very specific uh, to these characters. There's just something about this movie that just like pushes a lot of, a lot of good buttons for me. 
Um, and so I, I do not expect you to say that, it is, that you think it is one of the best movies of the last uh, uh, 10 years or seven years, pardon me. Um, but, uh, but I am curious to know uh, your response to this film. Reed. Well, it was very, I, I had a very positive response to the film largely because, and I, I don't normally, I don't think either of us really emphasize this a lot. And I'm actually going to try to talk about this in a way that doesn't spoil anything, okay. but in case I get into something, I should stress that my viewing of the film, not only had I never seen it before, I had read and heard precious little about it. Yeah. I went into this film, which is something of a rarity for me these days. I went into this film about as blind as I could possibly go into a film. Uh, that having been said, uh, something happens about 45 minutes into the film right. that took me completely by surprise. Marion Crane goes to take a shower. Basically. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, she does. Um, so it was something that because of that, I, I was immediately very drawn in and invested in this film more so than I expected to be, because I'll be honest that for about the first half hour, I was like, this is where this is going to go. And it's good. This, this character is going to learn this. And then there, this is going to happen and it's going to, yeah. you know, regrets and looking back and life lessons and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and not to say that the first 30 minutes, uh, were were bad or were predictable, but they very much were not yeah. for where the film ultimately went. Um, but I just thought that I was falling into a rhythm of what this film was going to be. So about 45 minutes in, yeah, something dramatically shocking happens. And when that happened, then I'm immediately more invested in, and engaged with where it's going. And I ultimately walked away uh, feeling feeling rather profoundly moved. Um, I don't know that I would say that I necessarily, I don't know that I would necessarily say that I loved the film, but I did love the experience of watching this film. Mm -hmm. If those distinctions can be made. Sure. That it's not a film that's going to, going to necessarily place very high on lists for me, but it's something that I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong about that because it's something that I think I'm going to continually go back to the experience of having seen that film because there was so little that I knew about it and the surprises yeah. that are interlaced in its narrative uh, that made me, they, they were indelible, I think. The, the experience of watching that film will ultimately prove to be indelible, I think. And I know that a lot of people um, did not care for the film because of this. It feels cheap to say a, a twist i don't mm. think it's necessarily yeah, a twist right, right, it's, right. A, it's a plot development or it's just the 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 format uh, the the structure of the story um because the trailer definitely makes it look one way as right. far as you right. know uh i remember um david i believe in talking about uh um the big short he says that it's a film that in the editing uh sorry in the trailer uh editing they tried to make look like Steve Carell and Brad Pitt mm -hmm. and Christian Bale, they're all in this movie together. Well, as it is, they are in the movie together in a certain sense, right? but they don't really interact with one another. That's just a bunch of different stories uh, that are part of one, uh, part of a larger tapestry. And so uh, in that same way, the way this, uh, this trailer was, was put together uh, definitely made it seem as though this is one story uh, that takes place over a certain period of time. As it is, the the film is divided into two halves. Uh, something you know, there's the past and the present, or if you want, the present and the future. However you want to say it, and uh, so there are 
you know, major stars in this film that actually don't share any real screen time. Right. Uh, right. Or at least the screen, the screen time they do share is very important, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's minimal. Yeah. And, uh, I think a lot of people were taken in by the trailers and then they saw the film expecting it to be, you know, cause it's got Ryan Gosling and it's got Bradley Cooper. And I right, think, right. And the nature of, of Ryan Gosling's character, I think, got people thinking in terms of uh, drive. And right, right. so I think they went in expecting that, and the film is most definitely not that. Uh, it is, uh, it's a film that I feel like defies categorization, it defies explanation. Frank, I, I know it's an independent film, but given the stuff that you and I are talking about, I think it's fascinating that that this film was made at all. Um, whatever producer, whatever studio thought like, Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll get all these act, the, not even a lot, but we'll get at least these three name actors. And then we will, uh, not have them share any screen time. And then one of them will actually, one of them won't show up for a while. And then the other one will disappear after a while. Right. Right. And so, uh, I don't know. So there, there's just, the fact that it's so outside of the norm of film, independent or or otherwise, um, is one of the things that I really admire about it. I think it's a movie that I admire greatly. Um, I also enjoy it, and I really respond to it, but I, I just feel like I like when it, whenever a director is just willing to do something that is not usual. Yeah. But the film isn't experimental either. It's not, you know, it's not under the skin or, or a racer head or something right, like that. Right. There is a clear narrative. There are clear characters with arcs. Um, it's just structured in a way that people are not used to. Mm-hmm. And that structure and in that structure, you find the, in my opinion, the film's reason for being. Um, yes. This sort of passing of the tur- the torch from one generation to the next, sort of. Um, it, it's a film very much about how the past can, can haunt you and whether it be something that something from the past that shows back up in your life or just the stuff that you carry with you and that it defines you. Um, and I, and it's tough. I, I, I feel like I don't even want to say what the story is because that, I know. that starts to give away the movie. So I'm fine to actually just talk about individual performances without going into a whole lot of, uh, <laughs> into a whole lot of, uh, detail about the arcs of their characters. So as mentioned, Ryan Gosling is in the film and, you know, uh, I would say Ryan Gosling for a while, I think La La Land probably is going to change that, but for a while he was just seen as this very stoic guy between drive. And I would say a movie like this, he's just seen as, you know, the strong silent type who is not, you're not, he's not going to give you much. It's all going to be seething on the inside. Right. But, uh, this year, I guess there's both La La Land and the nice guys where he plays kind of this goofy comedic <laughs> character. Yeah. Um, but his performance in this, I actually like, I'm not a huge fan of drive and, and I feel like mm. I would like, I him. am. Are you? Yeah. yeah. A lot. Most people are. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's definitely more of an exercise in style over substance, which is not a, a bad thing. Well, you know, what's funny. Okay. I don't think I'd disagree with you. Okay. I just loved the style so much. Right. It's, it's got a great score and it's shot beautifully. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I loved the neon demon last year. Yeah. which is Nicholas winning Reffin. Mm-hmm. And he shoot, I think he makes films in a way that is very vapid, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pure style and nothing underneath. 
but I think the Neon Demon is the first film that he made. By the way, uh, he did not direct Place Beyond the Pines. Where <laughs> this is a distraction, but um, but with Neon Demon, he's telling a vapid. He's he's telling a vapid story. Mm, yes, about shallow people. So the shallowness of the way he makes movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to imply that style is shallow, but if it's pure style, then it's going to be all artifice, and that's that's fine. But if you think you're telling a really deep story, mm. which I think is what comes through for me with Drive gotcha. and uh, Only God Forgives, is that I think he thinks he's doing some really deep stuff, and it's like, no, sorry, mm-hmm. you've got a couple good actors in there and some interesting ideas, but for the most part, it's just pure style. I love Stephen King's analogy that he uses sometimes where he says, uh, it's a great, big, beautiful car with no engine. It's wonderful to sit in, but it won't take you anywhere. Which is ironic considering uh, that we're talking about this film drive. But but I do think I I like Ryan Gosling more in this film because he's a guy who is very stoic. But you can you can definitely see that his uh, that there are things that that do propel him to do the right thing and the wrong thing. And you just see a guy who is very capable in some areas, but also very out of his depth emotionally, practically in other areas. And I think it's a really, really solid performance and one that, you know, I think the film in general, I think was, uh, was ignored unfairly by various awards. Uh, I feel Mm. like if nothing else, it deserved an original screenplay nomination. Cause I think <laughs> right, it's a yeah. really interesting script. Uh, but I think the acting is great all around. Um, uh, the other big name actor in, in the film is Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a marvelous performance by him as well. Uh, yeah, I agree. He is, a, he is allowed to grow or not, I guess is another way of looking mm-hmm. at it. And, uh, and he's not always the most likable character, but he's also a very relatable character. I thought, I, I would agree with that. And it's funny because like uh, one thing I kept thinking with the Ryan Gosling performance note is uh, uh, Gosling, particularly with like half Nelson and, and drive and this uh, has a kind of a rebel blood in him sure. and brings that, that attitude to his, to his performance. And what's interesting about that is that's usually part of what I take away from Bradley Cooper, maybe not rebel, but a, a, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a elitism, I want to mm. say, uh, in in a lot of his films, which is interesting because, like, you know, he's known for the Hangover series where he's total frat boy, but that, yeah. but I still sort of get a sense from his performance that his characters feel that they are above most of what's going on and that they're mm. better and and uh, just sort of on top of everything that's going on, and in this one, that's that's present as well. Yeah. But I feel like it's broader, and I feel like the roots run deeper, so that so yes. that it is a bit more, it is a bit more humbling. His his yeah. character gets to to have this sort of elite feeling, yeah. But then through the course of what his character experiences, then it does sort of sort of humble him and bring him down into this much more gray place yeah um, which i appreciated seeing bradley cooper in that type of role and getting to see that he could pull it off very effectively the character reminds me of guy pierce's character in la confidential oh okay, where yeah. he is a man of integrity 
but he also recognizes that this particular level of integrity is going to be great for his career. Yeah. Um, it's, mm-hmm. he's going to, he's, he's very ambitious and that doesn't reveal itself immediately, but right. I guess the film is split sort of into three acts now that I think about it. I was going to mention that the, 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 I, I didn't, I didn't balk when you said split into two, because you're definitely correct about two distinct time periods yes. because even though I would say the film is compartmentalized into three distinct sections, uh, two of those sections happen concurrently. Right. They are not concurrently. They happen, uh, you know, immediately following the other chronologically. Yeah. 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 And it's almost like there's a shift in perspective and then a time jump. Yes. Yeah. So, and so that divides it into that divides it into three. Um, and so, uh, and yeah, Bradley Cooper's character just, they give him some very interesting things to do because in that second section, it turns into, it's weird. Each individual section is itself a much more mainstream film. Hmm. Like if you look at the first section, yeah, um, you definitely see, you, you actually see a lot of drive, uh, the movie drive oh, in yeah, there. Yeah. In the second second section, it's, this weird film about, uh, ambitious, uh, ambition and, and, uh, like corrupt cops. And, you know, yeah. there's like a weird Serpico thing in there. Yeah. It reminded me a lot actually of Copland. Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the presence of Ray Liotta is, sure, is also sure, there. Sure. Um, and then, uh, the third section is very much this, you know, the past coming back to haunt you kind of dramatic thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah. Cause we've gotten away from the cop thing because the main character uh is no longer a cop he is right, now right. a district attorney is that what he's he a is? D- yeah he's a da and so um so end of each each film individually is actually remarkable each section is individually um pretty mainstream but when you put them together it makes for a very unusual film mm-hmm. that seems to be i don't know when you put them together it seems like the exact opposite of mainstream Hmm. When you when you separate them out, that's when it becomes. That's when each individual piece. It's not. I guess it's in a way. It's almost like Cloud Atlas, uh, <laughs> a movie that I don't necessarily love. But yeah. each individual, you know, each individual story is pretty easily digestible. But when you put them all together and you cut mm-hmm. it together the way that you, the way that it is, you think, wait, what? This just turns. Oddly, I know I said it wasn't experimental, but that's the word I'm going to use. This seems oddly experimental. Um, yeah, and what's funny about Cloud Atlas is that Cloud Atlas felt unwieldy, which Place yeah. Beyond the Pines distinct to me distinctly does not. It feels theme. It feels a bit thematically uh, unwieldy mm. for me because I just I find myself thinking like, okay, why are we watching this story now? And then oh wait, okay, and then thirty five minutes later, forty minutes later, it's like okay, wait, hang on. Now we're watching this story. Oh, this story connects the past two stories, sort of. It's also its own thing. It, yeah. It's such a fascinating structure of a film, and and yeah, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't begrudge anybody uh, not loving the film. It took me, I believe it was my top ten of that year, uh, but it took me a second viewing to think like this is uh, one of the one of the more, if if nothing else, one of the more interesting films of the last several years. Right. Um, right. And I did want to mention, and it's a great cast all around. Uh, again. Um, uh, Ryan Gosling, Eva Mendes, um, uh, Bradley Cooper. I'm, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of Harris Eulen. When I've seen him, he plays uh, Bradley Cooper's father, I believe. Oh, okay. An okay. actor who he's been in everything. Sure. Um, Bruce Greenwood, uh, Ray Liotta, and then 
uh, Emery Cohen, who is in uh, Brooklyn, yes. which is a film that I that I love. And then Dane DeHaan, who was mm-hmm. in this before he... I'm not sure if I'd say he's a name yet, but he's definitely a guy that people recognize. And this was yeah. kind of earlier in his, uh, in his career. So, um, yeah, a lot of really great actors. Uh, I do want to go out of my way to mention Ben Mendelsohn, as I tend to do. <laughs> um, his character... And just as an actor, Ben Mendelsohn is so present all the time. He just, he delivers, he he plays characters that have a certain degree of uh, idiosyncrasy, but they also seem incredibly human. Yeah. And the way his character just carries himself and the way he interacts with other people, he seems like such a real person. Yeah. Like somebody that you could just, I mean, I, you know, these, uh, a lot of these characters are, are, uh, middle class or maybe even lower middle class, if not full on lower class. Right. Right. Um, and you know, I lived in Southern Missouri for a while. And while I lived in Nixa, which is a, a fairly nice town on the outskirts of town or, you know, some, the, the poorer parts of it. And some of my friends lived there and we hung out and, uh, and I don't mean to, you know, say bad things about that. I, that's not the issue at all. But, uh, but his character, you know, he's a guy who just like lives off in a trailer by himself doing his own thing. And he just seems like a guy who's, who's fairly charming is fairly easygoing. And I'm reminded of a number of people, like a number of older brothers and uncles <laughs> and stuff, uh, that I have, that I've met. And he just seems like a guy that is the minute he walks on screen, I feel like I've, I can see his whole life. Right. Um, and when he eventually returns, I'm actually excited to see him as well. So, um, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn is just a, is an actor who, I mean, he was doing stuff in Australia for a long time and then apparently, uh, had some drug issues and disappeared for a while. And then starting with animal kingdom in 2010, he he Hmm. came back and he's, you know, he's, I believe he won an Emmy for that show Bloodline on Netflix. And, oh, uh, okay. I, so I haven't seen Bloodline. I didn't know he was in it. Neither have I. I've heard only okay things about it, but mm. I've heard that the cast is great mm. um, with and him especially. And so, uh, yeah, he's an actor that that definitely got my attention, and I think he is really marvelous in this. Um, so, you know, one. Uh, okay, so we do see a, a, a like I said, there's a time jump. So. Without going into a lot of detail, we see, you know, these young men, uh, and then we eventually see their children. Yes. Uh, so we see, you know, their children as little babies and then 15, 16 year old boys. And so the film is very much about that. And, and so what I'm going to say is from now on, I'm just going to speak in spoilers. Okay. Uh, that's helpful for me and you really can't dissect this movie without giving away what happens about 40, 45 minutes in. So everybody, if you haven't seen place beyond the pines and you've listened to this episode anyway, for some reason, um, just know that from now on we are spoiling things. So if you want to stop and go watch place beyond the pines, then please do that and come on back and welcome back. Uh, so place beyond the pines, about 40 minutes in, Ryan Gosling dies. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's, he is a, sort of a circus performer. He's a, a, a stunt motorcyclist mm-hmm. who eventually starts 
robbing banks uh, and using his amazing motorcycle skills to get away uh, because he, this ex, not even girlfriend, but this woman he had a fling with actually has a, a, a son right. with him and he didn't know. And so he decides he wants to start to, he wants to provide for his son. And the only way he can do that is to do things that are illegal. Right. And so, uh, so at one point he robs a bank and it is, He's bitten off more than he can chew. I think he tries to do two banks in one day. Is that the situation? He does, yeah. It's a, yeah. He has it well orchestrated and tries to pull off two, two bank heists yeah. in the same day. Uh, but nonetheless, he's, he winds up on the run, and then he is uh, eventually shot by a policeman played by Bradley Cooper, and it is the first time we see Bradley Cooper. Yeah. So we don't see him until 40 minutes into the film. And I got to say, that, that entire scene, so this is where I talked about the predictability earlier. Mm-hmm. So when Bradley Cooper shows up and he's chasing... Gosling into the house. Well, Gosling's already in the house. Bradley Cooper's just responding to the call. Yeah. So then he runs in there and I'm like, okay. And I'm sitting here in my arrogance thinking like, okay, this is the point where they're going to have this moment and something's going to happen. And then, uh, and then they're going to wind up either, either Cooper's going to be chasing him down a la, you know, heat status or something. Um, and then when, when he bursts into the room and almost, accidentally fires his gun. Yeah. And when Gosling falls out the window and everything, and and you see that shot, I remember, this is why I think that my experience of the film was indelible. Mm-hmm. Because even right now as I'm describing it, I can remember sitting there watching the film and how it felt to see this scene. Yeah. Because then when you see Gosling and I'm like, holy crap, that's a, that's a bad injury. Like, that's really bad. Yeah. How, how's he going to survive this? <laughs> and then sure enough, in the next moment, when you see Bradley Cooper in the hospital, and I'll never forget, it's Bruce Greenwood, mm-hmm. who he's coming in, and uh, I forget if he, I think he's the police chief, but he's coming in, and when he when he's talking to Bradley Cooper's character, and Cooper even says like, well, "What what happened to the guy?" And when when I, I remember the line, that's what was so distinct about it. Bruce Greenwood says like, "Oh, he's dead. He's done." Yeah, and just that finality, and I remember sitting there going like. Okay, then. So this this is now the kind of movie I'm watching. And, yeah. and immediately, as I said before, immediately I was much more invested in wherever it was going to go because it was totally unexpected at that point. And yeah. now I knew, like, wow, because Gosling is not only in the first time, he's in every frame. Yeah, it's of his the first movie. Four, yeah, of the first 40 minutes of the movie. And that speaks to, and so, okay, so then we see the 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 fallout of Bradley Cooper dealing with this shooting right. and, and being treated as a, a hero cop, which gets him in with a, a bad crowd of cops. And then yes. he, he parlays this information he knows about these corrupt cops into, uh, into a promotion. And right. then we cut to 50, I believe 15 years later. Yes. Um, and Bradley Cooper is a, a at this moment, he himself has a, a newborn son. And so 15 years later, his son is is a teenager in high school. Bradley Cooper is now a district attorney. He's divorced. Um, and, uh, and then we also see Dane DeHaan, mm-hmm. who, as it turns out, is... Uh, Ryan Gosling's kid. We saw him as a baby and now here he, here he is 15 years old. Right. And so he and Bradley Cooper's son wind up going to the same school and becoming friends. Right. Which would seem very cliche and, and very unlikely, but uh, I think that's partially what the film is about. Um, and so, you know, we hear about, 
Dane DeHaan's childhood and that he never knew his father. He never knew exactly what happened to his father. Right. Um, and I think what's there's, there's, like I said, there are certain buttons that, that get pressed uh, in this film that I love. I'm always a big fan of the idea of, oh, this is the last day of somebody's life or mm-hmm. somebody is dead and thus they're no longer real in a movie. And again, if they chose to just tell, expand that third act into its own movie, it could be its own movie. Sure. It could be a, a, a 100 minute film and it would be fine. And Dane DeHaan's father is just not in the picture. Right. You know, but by showing us Ryan Gosling and giving us a clear idea of who he is, Mm -hmm. what motivates him, what drives him, and then he's gone. And there is a, there is, and Dane DeHaan's character is only left with a photograph of him. Mm -hmm. And we saw them take the photograph. Yeah. And so when you realize like, wow, this guy that was living and breathing and yes, making terrible mistakes, but this guy that we were rooting for, this guy whose side we were on has been reduced for his son to just a photograph. That's the most he's ever seen. And it's the most we're going to see after that. Yes. That idea of, of making the past real and making those that have died, making them real is something that I always like when movies do. Sure. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's very effective. And I don't remember exactly the order that it goes in. Cause I, I rewatched the film several weeks ago at this okay. point, yeah. um, maybe even a couple months. And I don't remember who finds out what I don't remember. I think, yeah. Cause Dane DeHaan quickly finds out that his buddy played by Emery Cohen, that his buddy's father is Bradley Cooper who killed his dad. Yes. And I don't yeah. think Emery Cohen actually knows really any of this. No. And I think the film ends without him knowing any of right. it. Right. Because all he knows uh, once uh, DeHaan starts to make the choices he makes uh, in, in his story, uh, all he knows is just that, that that he has this vendetta against his father yeah. and, by extension, against him. Um, I believe, yeah, and it has been even longer than that since I've since I've seen the film, but um, I believe that the sort of the the click is because of some pictures on the wall that yes. that he begins to see in uh, Emery Cohen's house. Yes, and he he puts the connection together there, and then just begins to follow that path yeah. where it leads. It's almost very not not in terms of sentimentality, but in terms of these kinds of connections, it's very Dickensian. Sure, where there's a uh, th- this sort of sub connections that are happening that only become illuminated, you know, uh, after many, many years and almost accidentally. But yeah. then, then these connections, these sort of almost cosmic and irrevocable connections that these characters have suddenly comes to light and, yeah. and flavors everything that they understood about themselves and about who they were friends with and the, just the, the, the rhythm of their natural world. Yeah. That's actually very interesting. There is a, I don't remember who said this to me, but now that you mention it, it does remind me of that. Somebody said that the film just seems very novelistic. It seems yeah. very literary in a lot of ways. I agree. Um, and you don't often see, I'd say certainly from a structure standpoint, you certainly don't see that very often in film. Right. Um, to shift perspectives from Ryan Gosling to Bradley Cooper to Dane DeHaan, really. Yeah. We see yeah. we see plenty of Bradley Cooper, but it really, it becomes Dane DeHaan's story. And the more he finds out about his father, the more he, you know, he seeks out Ben Mendelsohn, who is, who is 
for a short time he was friends with Ryan Gosling's character I, and the guy who helped him in, in the bank robberies. He seeks him out. He Dana Hunt decides he wants to get a motorcycle. Like he's mm-hmm. trying to connect with his father, just if nothing else, then through the things that his father liked. Right. And Dana Hunt is a very interesting actor in that he is very slight. He's a very skinny kid. He has um, these very. Uh, I, I don't know how I would describe his eyes, uh, but he, he tends to have like very big bags under his eyes and just seems, yeah. he seems perpetually exhausted yeah. or like strung out on drugs or something like that. But he also seems remarkably vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time. Um, and so the, I find myself just feeling so bad for his character. Like he's a guy who, just is just lacking direction and and even though he never knew his father and is not really going to get to know him by exploring his father's life it's something it's it gives him something to latch on to and uh it's it's interesting to pivot to that character and then have him be played by this this scrawny seemingly weak sad, vulnerable person because so many characters around him and up until this point are strong in many ways. Mm. And, uh, I don't know. It's just such an interesting note to end on as well. And I wish I could, I don't know. I wish I could be more articulate, but there's just something about this film that eludes me. Um, yeah. And, and I do also think that Emery Cohen does a great job, uh, because his character is a spoiled brat right who is not he's very charming he is not wholly unlikable but he is just someone i don't enjoy spending time with and so you do see and this actually gets us into the theme a little bit but you do see the different paths that these lives have taken you know mm-hmm. and it's quite literally dane dehan's life has gone has gone poorly possibly because of who his father was and right. his father dying and in fact, it was Bradley Cooper's killing of Dane DeHaan's father that allowed him to become a hero cop and become yes. district attorney and then make Emery Cohen into a spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that the the, the perks and the benefits, uh, one could say that even the privilege of Bradley Cooper's life has a terrible effect on his son. And that's all because he killed a guy. Right. Thus sort of ruining the life of this. I don't know the, the way all of these connect in this idea that if he had done something different, if he had simply wounded Ryan Gosling, maybe right. it would be different, right. you know, or if Ryan Gosling had shot him, who knows what would happen. And yeah. So, right. Uh, it's just a, I don't know. It's, I, I wish I could, like I said, I wish I could be more uh, elaborate, but it's a film that listener, if you have not seen it and yet you still considered, uh, uh, you still listened all the way through, uh, the spoilers, um, do seek it out because nothing that we say is going to do it justice. It is, it is, I, I, I clearly like it more than you do, but I think it is a very special film mm-hmm. and one that needs to be to, to go with what you're saying, a film that needs to be experienced. I think I do. I, yeah. And I agree with that, even though, you know, and it's funny because I feel like I'm talking about this more and more with recent films and compartmentalizing my opinion of the film objectively versus my opinion of the film subjectively and subjectively speaking. Yeah. This was a film experience that I, I would even go so far as to say that I that I kind of treasure that sure. uh, that, that 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 
that I saw the film and that I knew again, if you've listened to this, then no judgment, but that, but this is the kind of film that really benefits from you knowing so little about it Yeah, because then it, it's, it's turns cause you to be far more invested, or at least it did to me caused yeah. me to be far more invested. I had not seen a trailer. And in fact, this is the kind of film that makes me wonder about the benefit of trailers. Like I love me a good trailer. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's the kind of thing that when I know a film is coming out and then they release one, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Uh, but for films like this, I'm like, if I had seen a trailer, I wonder if I would have been disappointed yeah. that, that, that Gosling was only in it for those first 40 minutes. Whereas beforehand, I mean, when I got it, my experience was I checked it out from the library. So Ryan Gosling's face is plastered all over the yeah. front of the cover. And then I'm sitting there watching it. And naturally, again, I thought I thought I was in for one thing. And when they turned me for that curveball, and I don't want to be too haughty or, um, or pretentious when I say this, but I do feel like the film is exploring some things about the way the rhythms of life and the passing of generations are. Sure. And it is so very much like that. Yeah. And films, even the best of them have a tendency to be so linear and so, um, emotionally predictable or, you know, we, we can experience even the, the great films. And when we experience for them for the first time, we can understand necessarily rhythms of, tragedy versus comedy or we right. can understand rhythms of uh, you know this is the kind of film that's going to be a metaphor or a life lesson or something like that but then we look at experiences of real life and and they are so alarmingly unexpected yeah. even you know a question that's always bugged me and a film like place beyond the pines illustrates why it's such a flawed question is where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Yeah. And I'm not saying that you can't have a plan and you shouldn't have goals. I'm, I'm by no means saying that, but life can be so unpredictable Yeah. and you experience Ryan Gosling's story and you know what he's about and you know what his goals are and you know that he's trying to be, better uh you know in some ways and then in some in other ways he's just continuing to digress yeah. as a person and in his in his moral fiber um but irrevocably he he's just cut cut off done yeah. that that's the conclusion of of things and then yeah bradley cooper while simultaneously having to to live with that he ended a man's life and feeling that feeling the weight of having killed someone yeah. yet seizing the opportunity as we've already discussed seizing the opportunity to further himself and further his five yeah. ten year plan and make it a two-week plan you know <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is it's it's hard to know exactly how far he thought he would get because i believe he is in law school yes. as well so yes. he, he is working towards being a lawyer but he becomes a hero cop by shooting this guy mm -hmm. and then he, and then these, these corrupt cops are just dropped in his lap. Yeah. And so, you know, if you had asked him before he shoots Ryan Gosling, where do you see yourself in five years? He'd probably, he would probably say, or certainly 15 years. Sure. It's possible. He'd say like, well, I'll be practicing law. 
Mm-hmm. Like it might be a uh, private practice. It might be, oh, I, I'll be an assistant district attorney. But because of these things that are out of his control, right. yes, he could control whether he actually shot Ryan Gosling, but you kind of get the impression he couldn't control that. Yeah. He was young. He was a little bit scared and he was impulsive. He couldn't control that. He couldn't control these corrupt cops seeking him out. He could control whether he turned them in. Um, yes. And so it's this this combination of things being presented to you. And then sometimes you can do something with them. Sometimes you can't. Right. And that these choices just echo, not merely in your own life, but the, the lives of your, of your kids as well. There's a, a line here in which uh, Ryan Gosling's character is talking about his, his baby son and that he wants to, he wants to be in his life. He said, he's my own and I should be around him. I wasn't around my dad and look at the way I turned out. Mm. Well, Dane DeHaan is not around uh, Ryan Gosling. Now, he does have a stepfather right. uh, who is who is loving and all of that. Yes. But again, just knowing that his own father is gone mm-hmm. uh, and not a part of his life um, can make a difference, you know. Uh, whereas we actually, not only do we see that Bradley Cooper is a father, but we also see his father, Harris Eulin. Right, right. And so, who was a judge. So, his family was always a little bit better off, but we see that his father is, is, you know, puts pressure on him to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And so we see, we really do see three generations. We don't see Ryan Gosling's father, but our not seeing him is, that's what he's about. That's part of that arc, right? You know, his generation, you know, that generation is that it's not there. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing these three generations over the course of 15, 16 years. And it really is just there's a it's really sprawling but by focusing in on these two families uh it actually it's specific and yet general at the same time right uh and it's just you know some of this is this all just for me adds up to a really remarkable film that i'll use the term again a very special film um Another film that admittedly I haven't seen in a while, but another film that I thought was very special when I saw it, uh, it was, it was one of my dad's favorite films. Uh, he and I watched it together and indeed I, I really loved it. Uh, it's written and directed by John sales. It's called Lone Star, uh, which came out in 1996. Uh, it was nominated for best original screenplay. This has a pretty good uh, cast too. It's got uh, Chris Cooper. It's got Elizabeth Pena who actually passed away somewhat, uh, somewhat recently. Uh, Chris Christopherson, uh, Matthew McConaughey is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also a film about, you know, it's a small town, it's a, it's a small community, and uh, Chris Cooper is, is he the sheriff? Is he the chief of police of this town? Uh, yes. Okay. And his, uh, yeah, and because it's also dealing with two, it's dealing with present and future, yeah. or, you know, present and past more deliberately in Lone yeah. Star than, than in Place Beyond the Pines. So, yeah, it's, uh, he is the uh, police chief and is constantly being compared to his legendary, the word is used frequently, legendary father. Yeah, uh, played by Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. Um, And it's interesting because when I was thinking about these two films, you always always impress me with your companion films. Oh, thank you. um, When I was thinking about these two films, and it's something that, uh, perhaps a bit of a shameless plug, it's something that we talked about uh, on The Fear of God when we covered Frailty a few weeks ago. Mm Um, about how, interestingly enough, Matthew McConaughey's in that movie too, but uh, talking about how the relationships between fathers and sons 
And even just from a psychological perspective, sons tend to, to get their identity and mm-hmm. possibly even their destiny from, from their father. Uh, they're, it's wrapped up in, you know, I am, there's this constant push and pull of, I am just like my old man, so to speak, yeah. and I am not like him. And so this constant tug of a drawing to be like, but also a, a pull to establish your own sort right. of identity. And I think that it's all over place beyond the pines, but I yeah. think Lone Star probably illustrates that balance a bit more straightforwardly. Yeah. Uh, that, that tension, I should say, not balance. And with Chris Cooper's character, one thing that I like about him is he's not like this insecure guy who's trying desperately to live up to his, right. his father's uh, reputation. He... Everybody else wants him to live up to that. Right. But he also, because he was, you know, his father's son and was able to see more things than the townspeople, you know, he knows about the man behind the legend and he knows just like, it's just my dumb old father who made some pretty bad mistakes on top of everything else. Right. Um, And so he's actually surprisingly firm in who he is, but that doesn't mean that he, that the comparison isn't always there and that it's always just looming over him. Right. Um, and and the the story in the past is actually one. Of, it, yeah, it, in similar to Place Beyond the Pines, we could have just gotten Matthew McConaughey's story, in which he was. We see him as a deputy, right, to Chris Christopherson's very very corrupt and brutal and oh cruel yeah. sheriff, and we see him dealing with that. And that's a, that's a movie in and of itself. Yes, you know, and and John Sayles' decision to to show us these two stories so that we because hey Matthew Matthew McConaughey kind of becomes a legend to us as well because look at this big look at big mean Chris Christopherson Mm -hmm. and now look at uh, good looking charismatic uh, Matthew McConaughey and you know who are you going to be rooting for right right and so uh, so it establishes you know they pick McConaughey was not a movie star yet no, I think he had only just made Time to Kill either yeah. the same year or I he might have made Lone Star before Time to Kill. I think Time to Kill was 96. Yeah, I think they're and, the same year. And yeah. then uh, McConaughey was uh, in that Bill Murray film, Larger Than Life. So to some, uh, he you know, so he was getting character actor roles along with starring right. roles. Um, but he definitely had a movie star quality to him and he mm-hmm. was a good looking guy and all that. And so... So movie stars are sort of our legends. And so uh, to have somebody that had that potential in them, I think uh, was a good call on John Sayles part. And so whereas Chris Cooper was certainly not a star, he was not a name at that time yet. Um, And he's kind of a plain looking guy, just seems like a normal guy. And so, you know, who would we rather have as our as our lead in a movie? Right. As a heroic sheriff. Well, we want the the charismatic movie star, Mm -hmm. not the rather average uh, uh, character actor. Um, Don't get me wrong. I love Chris Cooper. I think he's a wonderful actor. So I don't mean to disparage him. I just mean from an from an optics standpoint. Hmm. Um, And uh, and yeah, and I in talking about this, I realized like I'd like to watch Lone Star again because it really is is fascinating. And there's all this talk of, uh, of from people that were there and knew uh, Chris Cooper's father, and, but everyone's still really secretive. It's very important for them to keep the legend of 
yeah. uh, Matthew McConaughey's character alive. Yeah, it reminded me, although they're very different in tone and in purpose, but um, I go back to this a lot because I think this is the film that illustrates this the best. Um, you know, the legendary line from The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're confronted with the truth and with the legend, print the legend. Yes. You know? um, that's an iconic line at this point and an iconic kind of sentiment where in terms of myth-making, you you do we kind of in in our personal lives uh i think this plays out to be true i think it's definitely true uh in sort of celebrity fan culture and mm-hmm. i think it's true in sort of uh politics i think there's really probably no arena of life in which this is not present where we really badly want the legend yeah we want the legend to be uh, you know everything that we have fabricated it to be in our yeah. in our minds, and in some cases those legendary elements are still factual, but the experience of them is a bit exaggerated. Like yeah. you know, like I'm thinking specifically about um, in, in one of the elements of Lone Star is that everybody everybody always talks about the justice of of buddy that, yeah. that, that, uh, that buddy was just this just irrevocably just person. So Chris Cooper's character naturally struggles a lot with that. Like, you know, it's a, you talk about him like he was the saint and he's, yeah. he was not the saint. He was not just. And when all things are revealed, um, which I don't even have to spoil to make my point, but when all things are revealed, you find that no, as a matter of fact, buddy, buddy was in fact a very just person person that 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 the sort of corruption that chris cooper always presumed was there and was present in his father actually didn't exist and what i mean by that in illustrating the the whole print the legend idea is the people who talked about buddy had taken truth and had extended it and had exaggerated it to this place that naturally in chris cooper's mind he's like well that's not that's not authentic anymore. Yeah. But it did start from this authentic sort of nugget, this this authentic grain of things. And I think we have a tendency to want to do that about ourselves and about our situations in life, wanting to make it more grandiose, make, wanting to make it broader. Um, and when we're confronted with what we would call harsh reality, um, there's a... I'm reluctant to call it a breakdown, but there's definitely sort of a tectonic shift that takes place in our perception. Where we're like, man, I was operating thinking that it was this thing versus I look at the reality of it. And it's actually probably more akin to this other thing. And I think that happens a lot in relationships with fathers and sons. Yeah. And I think it, it could happen in any relationship, but I think there's something about the father to a son and the son to a father dynamic that makes it particularly potent when that happens. Like for fathers, it's, I didn't realize that my son was going to be this. Yeah. And for sons, it's very frequently like, you have this moment where you're confronted with my father isn't entirely who I thought he was. Right. And that could go in positive or negative directions, but my father is not entirely what I had in my head, um, that he cared about slightly different things or that, yeah. you know, certain elements mattered differently to him, mattered more or mattered less than what I had, what I had created in my mind of him, of him to be. Now you are a father. Yes. So I find myself, wondering and and Jen and I are working towards uh, uh, adoption sometime in the future and 
but you're already there. And so I find myself wondering, is there a, is there a, this part of you that feels like, all right, my son's getting older and eventually he's going to realize that I am, I don't have things figured out and that I have made a lot of mistakes. Like, is that a thing that on one hand it might, it could be freeing because it's just like, okay, well he realizes I'm human. I don't have to be Superman anymore, but it could also be like, I'm not looking forward to the day that my son realizes I'm not Superman. For me, it is very much that. Okay. It is for me. It is very much that secondary thing where I am not looking forward to the, um, to the, to the, the cracking of the illusions yeah. uh, that my son has about me, because I, I know, I know that there will come a time, maybe it'll be preteen, maybe it'll be through his teenage years or something, but I know there'll become a time where he uh, does not think very highly of me. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I don't want to just speak ill flippantly, but I think it's, it's part of, it's part of the process of, yeah. of coming to you uh, coming into your own as an adult. Um, I think there has to be this, this journey that you go through of losing the illusion of your parents and gaining a greater understanding. And there's that in between phase, uh, where there's could potentially just be a lot of resentment and a lot of frustration. And that could be all that you're sort of, left with. And I do like, I, I think about it every single time I make a decision that I wish I'd done differently, that the moment that I make that decision and then 10 minutes later, I realize, like, good Lord, I had an experience the other day, uh, where I was trying to get my son into bed mm-hmm. and it was already past his bedtime. I was trying to get him into bed and he, uh, wanted to write, um, uh, good morning on the little chalkboard that he has. He wanted to write good morning. And I was like, okay, you can write good morning. So he wrote good morning. And then I was like, all right, well now it's time for bed. I already, you know, gave you a few minutes. And then he was like, well now I want to write good night, you know? And so I know as his dad, he's just stalling. He does not want to go to bed. And so at first I put my foot down a little bit. I was like, I told you you could write good morning. Right on his face. That was it. (laughs) Smash. Um, That's, that's what you regret is being a uh, horrible abuser of your child. Is that what you're saying? Not what I'm hearing. Not quite. Um, But I, I put my foot down and I was like, no, I'm not going to let you do this thing. This is not okay. You know, like you're just stalling and whatever. I was right in that moment, but something in that particular moment, it doesn't always, but something in that particular moment stopped me. I'll go ahead and say, I, cause I believe it, that it was sort of a, a prompting from the Lord that stopped me and was like, your son's five and he's, he's writing yeah. relatively well. This is an opportunity for you to show your pride in him for you to, yeah, he's stalling for bedtime, but this is an opportunity for you as a dad to show him that, you're proud of him and of what he can do and of what he's able to do. Uh, and maybe you should not care so much that he's up a little later. Right. And maybe you should take this moment to show him that, that you're proud of what he can do. So I changed. And in that moment, very rapidly, I, I told him, I said, you know what, son, erase it and write good night and take as much time as you need. Mm-hmm. And he did. And when I was done, I sat him over on my lap. And before I tucked him in, I said, uh, I want to let you know why I did that. I'm sorry that I, um, that I wouldn't let you write it before because I'm very proud of, of what you do, uh, and that you can do this and that you write so well for, for being as young as you are. And I said all that to him and you know, he's only half listening to me and he's twirling around with his little hot wheels with his foot. He's thinking about good afternoon. (laughs) Exactly. He's like, how can I get him to keep me awake? Um, but all of that to say, I'm not looking forward to the moment when the, the parts where I put my foot down 
linger longer than the moments where I tell him I'm no. proud of him and the, and the parts where he thinks I know everything and he's just excited for me to watch him do things and to, and to be there with him when those start to drift away and I'm just the guy that's keeping him from doing all the stuff he wants to do um, that I, I'm not looking forward to that <laughs> at no. all. I think that to a certain degree, there's a part of me that understands that that's, partially necessary for his own sake to come to that place. But, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to experiencing that, you know, life can be like place beyond the pines illustrates life can be very episodic Yeah, and life can be built into these little pockets. I know I certainly think of my teenage years as kind of a pocket and Mm -hmm. college years as kind of a pocket. And, uh, and I feel like when I look back on those times, like I'm looking back, uh, not necessarily on a, on a younger version of myself, but on a different person yeah. that I'm, that I'm remembering the experience of somebody who's not here anymore, because even though I experienced them, that, that man is gone and, uh, or that boy, whatever you want to say. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, life, life can be very fleeting in, in that in that perspective and um, and our relationships can be very fleeting in that perspective. And I think not to be too, not to be overly melancholy, but I think there's some wisdom in taking a moment and recognizing that and in recognizing uh, the, the sort of the transitory, I mean, scripture says that life's a vapor and mm-hmm. recognizing sort of the transitory nature of, of these experiences. Um, and yeah, that's, that's something that not only Lone Star, but especially Place Beyond the Pines gets, gets my brain recognizing yeah. and gets my brain thinking about uh, in terms of my own relationships with, with my father and, and with, with my son. Um, I, I always, uh, imagined that there would be someday a book I would write and I would, uh, dedicate it to my dad and to my son and say like, no. this is what I was trying to say, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. all along. Um, but I've talked a lot anyway. No, that's fine. It's, it's, it's a perspective that I don't have yet, um, is being a father. I mean, I have a, a different perspective on, you know, being a son and right. the idea that like, just as I was starting to see my father as like a real person right you know he died and so it's just like okay so i guess we're kind of and then i guess we're kind of frozen where we were Mm. but then when someone when someone passes away then it's really easy in your own mind Mm. to sort of print the legend which is clearly what dane dehan's character is starting to do like once he finds out really anything about his dad it's like all right Mm -hmm. time to start building this up because so far it's just been a blank space yeah um and you know, one thing to, to start moving towards uh, the end, because we have a number of Bible verses to read, I will say that, um, you know, uh, these films aren't necessarily about people emulating their fathers. You know, it could be parents in general, but we're talking about fathers specifically. Um, it's not necessarily about them wanting to emulate or even necessarily about them wanting to purely just run away. It is about the degree to which they feel their lives are dictated by the good things their parents did, the bad things their parents did. And, and I like that, that neither film really comes down hard on one way or another. You know, we do find out that, uh, that, Chris Cooper maybe wasn't being a hundred percent fair to his father, right. that his father actually was a good guy. He might not have been a, a saint. He might not have been right. like the best guy, but he's not nearly, but Chris Cooper was pushing against the legend and also 
pushing against his own father. Mm-hmm. And, and then Dane DeHaan is so eager for some kind of real connection with his father, just finds out everything he can and, and latches onto that. And then, you know, Bradley Cooper, what, what I find is interesting is partly at the prompting of his father, he starts, this is going to sound kind of abstract. Bradley Cooper's character starts sort of printing the legend for himself. Hmm. He starts building himself up into this thing that he wants to be the thing that maybe it's like, well, my dad was a judge. If I'm district attorney, that's not, that's not bad. Right. And I don't necessarily think that he feels that level of competition, but I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself to be as big and as noble as people seem to think he is when he's this hero cop and that people think his father is. And so, um, and so when we have, when he realizes who Dane DeHaan is and he realizes that his son is hanging out with him, Hmm. he says to his son, like, I don't want you hanging out with that kid. Yeah. He doesn't give a reason why, but because to look at that kid is to remind him of this thing that he did that he regrets, but also a time in his life when he wasn't the legend, a time when he really didn't have much control over this thing he did. Everything after that has been very firmly under his control. Yes. But in that moment, it was just a, a, a thing of weakness and a reminder that out of that weakness, great things came, Mm -hmm. but in his, but you know, the, the legend started, but in his most honest moments, he's still that kind of rookie cop who, who shot somebody without totally realizing the had a gun. And so, um, so you have all of these and then, you know, Emery Cohen's character, we don't really know what drives him, but we definitely feel like, okay, he probably doesn't feel super, uh, supported by his father. Right. And so he's just going to have to take care of himself. And Mm -hmm. so everybody is, if they let themselves be defined by these past generations. And so I was looking up, uh, this idea, uh, in the Bible and there are, uh, there are a number of passages, one of them particularly long, um, that I wanted to read. One is uh, Deuteronomy 24 verse 16. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Now, that last part actually sounds really dark. It sounds like <laughs> something out of a Western. But um, but there is a certain degree of of uh, comfort there. And the Bible, in the Bible, there is the idea of generational sin. There is the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, because you did something terrible, it's the consequences are going to be visited on your, on your children, mm-hmm. maybe because God is choosing for that. And maybe because the natural consequences will have echoes throughout the generations. Right. Right. Um, but then there's Ezekiel 20. I did not write how far that goes. Sorry, Ezekiel 18, 20 something. There are, uh, there are about like six verses in here. Uh, but suppose this son has a son who sees all the sins his father commits. And though he sees them, he does not do such things. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He does not oppress anyone or require a pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He withholds his hand from mistreating the poor and takes no interest or profit from them. He keeps my my laws and follows my decrees. He will not die for his father's sin. He will surely live, but his father will die for his own sin because he practiced 
He practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was wrong among his people. Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So... I wanted to mention this because, uh, specifically to focus in on Chris Cooper's character is that he's, he definitely has a chip on his shoulder about his father, but I don't think he feels like he's falling short. Although maybe he is like, why else would he want to try to demythologize his father? If, Mm. if he, you know, unless he felt that, well, I can't live up to that. So I better make the, that not so important or not so exciting. And so, um, But he is definitely trying to be his own man and do his own thing and not let, whether it be the legend or the reality of his father, dictate who he's going to be. And so, um, so I did want to, uh, I don't know, it's, as I've said on the show before, um, and frankly, I get a little tired of talking about my own father, but, uh, a thing that he often felt was that, uh, he wanted to be important, not important, like like I'm a big important man, but he wanted to make a difference in this life. Right. Right. And, uh, undoubtedly, uh, that I think, I think he imparted that more to me than my brother. Hmm. Um, and it's definitely a thing that I have internalized and this idea to, to make something of myself and, and to have people know who I am, not, not simply for, for fame itself, that doesn't really interest me, but the idea of making a difference in the lives of more than just the people I know, but people who are listening right now and could say like, Oh yes, he said something very smart. Like, Oh wow. I've, I've inspired a stranger. (laughs) That's, that's how important I am. That's how much of a difference I'm making. Uh, the idea of that really does appeal to me. And I have no doubt that, uh, that, that a lot of that comes from my father and it has, and it is probably, uh, um, it has probably caused me a fair amount of misery hmm. uh, on those days when you feel like you where you've done nothing right and you just feel like I'm not going to make a difference at this rate <laughs> um, or if you do something good, but you feel like it's not quite good enough. It's right. and so, you know, I tend to mythologize my father, but I also recognize that this feeling that he had while understandable and it's important that you you do want to make a difference, but sometimes you can be so focused on making a larger difference that you fail to recognize the the huge difference you're making in the lives of the people around you. And so, you know, in thinking about Place Beyond the Pines earlier today, I started thinking about like, okay, well, what, you know, what can I personally learn from this? And it's mm-hmm. ultimately that my, that in, in the, uh, in my attempt to sort of mythologize my, my dad as a way of, uh, making his death kind of okay, because it's okay if legends die, you know, because <laughs> yeah. then the legend lives on and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, uh, in doing so, I think I might have enshrined some of his, some of his good philosophies that he executed poorly hmm. and, you know, and, so yeah, that's something that kind of, and, and this idea of what am I going to say to my son? You know, what am I right. about, about being, about making a difference in this, in this life, you know? And, uh, 
so I guess that's one thing that I wanted to impart. And I have no idea if anybody in that is listening, uh, feels this, this, this feeling that like, they're just in the shadow of their parents or they feel like they have to do what their parents did, or they have, they have to do the opposite of what their parents did. Hmm. I think an argument could be made here, looking at these verses and looking at some of these films that in the end, you are your own person. You're going to be judged on your own actions, right. not your kids' actions, not your parents' actions. And so if that's what it's going to be, then by all means, learn what you can from your parents. I don't, and I don't say that lightly, obviously you learn a lot from your parents, but, sure. but you know, go and do your own thing. You don't have to let this, you don't have to let the way you were raised dictate the choices that you make. And I actually find the ending to the place beyond the pines a little bit melancholy because we actually see yes. Dane DeHaan drive away on a motorcycle mm-hmm. like, and, and leave his mom and maybe as he's kind of off on this journey to find himself or connect with the spirit of his father or whatever it is, maybe he'll come back and realize, no, I'm my, you know, my mother loved me. My stepfather loved me. And so this is where I belong, but we don't know that yet. It might be that he just, his actions are so dictated by this idea of his father and this, this desire to fill this void that maybe he goes and does some, really bad stuff. Right. You know? And so it's, it is not uh, necessarily the most upbeat of endings that film. Hmm. I feel like Lone Star ends pretty well, or at yeah. least there's a nice, it, it feels very complete. Yeah. Lone, Lone Star has uh, some upticks in the, in the emotional, uh, quotient, if you want to call it that at the, in the last 10, 15 minutes yeah. of the film is definitely, it definitely ends on a perhaps, somber but not at all sad sort of beat um yeah lone star ends very well but i agree with you about place beyond the pines i was going to say when you talk about uh dane dehan is effectively printing the legend himself and i was going to say yeah i mean the ink is is kind of the asphalt that he's driving away on in this you know become in a sense becoming what or striving towards becoming what he has envisioned his father to be Um, and that's at least the image that we get of him. You know, the first thing that we see, uh, the first scene that we see Ryan Gosling in at the very beginning of the film, it bookends it nicely because we see him uh, driving a motorcycle, albeit yeah. in a in a circus stunt. Yeah. But we see him driving a motorcycle, and then that's what we see his son doing so ever many years later. Yeah. And and it's hard to know exactly what to feel about it. That in some ways it feels almost noble. In other ways it feels like ah. Oh. Yeah. Nobody learns anything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I did want to end with uh, Romans one, uh, sorry, Romans eight, one. Um, I got to start. Sorry. As I write these down, because I do it kind of last minute, uh, I will research and then it'll say, Oh, look up Romans eight, one, but then I'll start adding verses around it. (laughs) But I forgot, I forget to write those down. So I do apologize everybody. Um, So Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, um, and then I'll throw in second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So this idea of 
not merely letting the past be the past. That's obviously a, a cliche and it's way easier said than done. And honestly, the past does have a, a role to play, but it also does not have to, that's not who you are. You know, you're not your parents. You're not, uh, you're not even the mistakes that you have made, um, much less the mistakes they've made. Um, you know, you are your own person, you make your own choices and there is perpetual renewal, uh, in Jesus. Um, so that you can just kind of forge your own path. Yeah. So I know that sound, that's kind of a weird note to end on with, with these, uh, with these films, but such is the nature of these movies. They are elusive. <laughs> um, but yeah, do seek out and, and we have, uh, we have avoided spoilers for, uh, for Lone Star. So if you, uh, have not seen it, do seek it out. It's a film that deserves to be known more than it is. I agree with that. It's um, wonderful. And, uh, and it, and John Sayles in general is a, is a director that deserves to be known more than he is. He was kind of a nineties guy, but he, he has continued making films since then. Mm. And, uh, I highly suggest, uh, passion fish and Lone Star and another one, the name of which I've forgotten. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but look up John Sayles. He's put out some really amazing movies, but, uh, and, and do seek out place beyond the pines though. We have completely spoiled it now. Um, okay. We'll go ahead and leave it there. I know that uh, things are kind of meandering a little bit there at the end, but uh, hopefully you got something out of it. See, I'm uh, protecting my image here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, you can always leave a comment on this post at morethanonelesson.com. You can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at morelessons. You can follow Reed on Twitter. At Reed Lackey. At Reed Lackey. And then you can also like us on Facebook. Uh, and I think that is about it um i guess if you live in the in the orlando area don't forget to check out the international christian film festival and stop by my table and uh come see my talk and see how it goes because uh, i don't know how it's gonna go it's uh, it'll be fun to find out but anyway in the meantime thank you everybody for listening reed thanks for being here thanks for having me and we'll get you next time bye